I have called this message the Sermon on the Amount. A play on Sermon on the Mount, you get that. But in fact, the passage of the Holy Spirit, which uh, the Holy Scripture, which we read a moment ago, or which Pastor Christian read for us, is really not about money, but about faith. If it were about money, the many rich people who put in large amounts would have impressed Jesus. But it seems that he was not impressed by the large amounts they gave. As you are aware, the Gospels were not written chronologically. That is, just because something comes before something else doesn't mean that it happened just before that. The gospel writers wrote as they were moved by the Spirit and also as, as they reflected on the events in Jesus' life. So we don't know for sure that his conversations with the scribes and the religious leaders of the day came just before his watching them as they contributed money. His conversation with them may have followed that. We're not really sure. But Jesus is expressing here his concern that these religious leaders are big into pretense. They want people to think well of them, so they pray long prayers and maybe preach long sermons. I don't know. They want to be seen. They want to be respected. But Jesus seems to have little respect for them because it's all show. So the scripture Kristen read for us a moment ago finds Jesus at a gate called Beautiful. It was the gate between the large open courtyard on the Temple Mount and the, what we might call the actual beginnings of the temple itself, the gate into what is what was called the court of women. I think it's a little bit ironic that the, the treasury that Jesus is watching is in the court of women. I guess that's because the women had the money. But in actual fact, everyone could go into this courtyard at least all the Israelites could go into this courtyard, the court of women. And then there was a more restrictive court of Israel and then the court of the priests. And then of course, the temple proper into which only the high priest could go once a year in the Holy of Holies. So this temple on this 36 acre 
complex is where Jesus is watching as people come to give their money. There were 13 receptacles around the temple area. 13 called trumpets. They were so called because the top of the receptacle was shaped like a trumpet bell, like a funnel. And it was made of brass so that when you dropped coins onto the brass, they would clink down and slide down and make a lot of noise. So when Jesus is watching these rich people dump in their sacks of money, making a lot of noise, calling a lot of attention to themselves, remember, they didn't have paper checks or even paper bills. So they were making a lot of noise with this, and Jesus is watching, being unimpressed. Mark says that there were many rich people. That surprises me because I supposed there really wouldn't be that many rich people there. Who were the rich people? Well, they were not the Jeff Bezoses and the Warren Buffetts of their day. To qualify as being rich, you just had to have more than you really needed. If you could give and not have it affect how you live, you were considered well off. Because most people were living day to day and had just enough to subsist on. So Jesus is watching. They are giving their amounts, some a great amount, other lessers, others lesser amounts. But Jesus is watching. And he is being aware that as they give, their lifestyle isn't going to be altered one little bit by the amount they have given. Then comes the widow. Into this treasury she placed her two leptons. They were the smallest copper coins in circulation. Now we don't know into which of the 13 receptacles she placed this, presumably the one near the beautiful gate, but we don't know what that was designated for. You see, each of the 13 receptacles was designated for a specific purpose. One was for the oil used in the sacrifices. Another was for the wood used in the sacrifices. Another 
was for the sacrifices themselves. So these 13 receptacles had different purposes. This woman dropped her two leptons into the receptacle. These two little coins didn't make a lot of noise sliding down into the box. These two little coins represented, according to biblical scholar William Barclay, one twenty-fourth of a day's labor. I figured that on a 48-hour week, working 10 hours a day, the average working man would spend four and a half minutes earning these two leptons. It wasn't much money, was it? Do you suppose it is easier for a person who has nothing to trust God? Perhaps. This woman certainly did not depend on her finances to get her through. Perhaps she was like another woman, a widow woman. We find in 1 Kings chapter 17, she had lost hope. The prophet Elijah asked her for a cake of bread and she said, I have only enough flour and oil to make a cake for myself and my son and we're going to eat it and then die. Elijah, Elijah challenged her to make a cake for him and give him a cake first. <laughs> That's pretty gauche, don't you think? You have only enough for yourself and your son and then you're going to die, but give me one first. Well, the spirit was at work in ways we don't quite understand or we wouldn't have quite understood probably. But there was a purpose in that, and she obeyed. She made a cake for Elijah first and gave it to him. And miraculously, there was enough flour left for her and her son. And not just that day, but for the days following, her faith had produced Miraculous results. Perhaps it was with a sense of finality that this widow woman whom Jesus watched placed into the trumpet her two leptons. Perhaps she was resigned to go home then and die. I've wondered what became of this widow. Nothing more is mentioned of her. But if she was significant enough for the Lord to notice her sacrifice, I have to believe that God provided for her. Now, maybe the Almighty provided for her by 
coming for her that night in her sleep and taking her to glory. I don't know, but we have such a fear of death and regard it with such finality. But in truth, death is merely a transition to an unimaginable life in heaven for the faithful. But we don't know how God provided for her, but we are sure that he did. We see in this woman a spiritual truth that our giving and our faith are inseparably linked, which brings us to what we are to glean from this passage of scripture, I believe. Let's face it and be honest about it. Giving is a very significant way in which we declare ourselves to be God's people who are trying to do God's work and fulfill his will here on earth. All through the Bible, as great work or great building or great relief to the suffering and oppressed are being offered, God's people were called upon to indicate their love, their commitment, and devotion by giving offerings. I will spare you a detailed historical rendition of biblical fact, but let's do consider one offering taken by early Christians recorded in the New Testament, an offering for other Christians who were suffering. And Paul commends these churches they gave above their ability, he said. But these offerings were not limited to other believers alone. The giving of the early church was legendary even among unbelievers. If you are not aware, you soon will be that the stewardship committee of our church will present our church budget. The budget contains many categories that cover many different kinds of needs, very much like the 13 trumpets found in the temple area. These categories provide funds for ministry. In weeks to come, I hope we can hear some things our mission action team is doing to help people in need in our area. But in addition to the needs of hurting people, our church budget also provides study and worship materials, fellowship events, building maintenance, salaries, and a whole variety of needs that are part of the cost of being God's people here in this place at this particular time in history. As one example of need, 
Since we're all thinking seriously about who our next pastor is going to be, let me ask you, do potential pastors consider the salary being offered when thinking about moving to a new church? Or are pastors so holy that things such as salary don't even enter into the equation? That's it. We pastors are so holy, we don't think about money at all, except when we do. And oftentimes we do. <laughs> because, this may surprise you, but pastors have to pay their bills just like everybody else. And what kind of salary we are willing to offer will make us either more or less attractive to a really good pastor. And I mention that only to indicate that the budget should be important to us for a whole variety of reasons, this being one. We support God's work here through First Baptist through the offerings and the tithes we give. Our budget next year, as the Stewardship Committee has proposed it, is $600,000. And because we love God and love what this church is doing to further the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, each of us has the responsibility and opportunity to ask ourselves, what is my part in God's plan? You will receive no phone calls asking for money. Unlike some religious groups, you will not get a done in the mail. I may hit you up personally, but Probably not. This is a matter for you to ask God to help you with and to depend on the Holy Spirit to help you arrive at a decision. As I read through the scriptures we read earlier, did you notice that Jesus was watching as people gave? Does that surprise you? Giving mattered to him. And I would suppose it still matters to him. Don't you agree? But what mattered most was not the show of putting into the treasury a lot of money. What mattered most was the indication of a growing faith. After all, in this Sermon on the Amount, 
It isn't the amount of money we give that is most important. It's the amount of our faith, the faith we are developing. Don't you agree? Our giving springs from our faith.